0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and today I got a special episode. So, we're joined by Moshe Amsal. Moshe is a friend of mine. We've been in touch for a few years at this point, another law firm professional. We're going to get into a little bit more detail of his background, but uh, he's doing something super interesting a first ever Law Firm Growth Summit, which is actually called the Law Firm Growth Summit. So getting some pretty cool stuff together. We're going to go into that a little bit as well as some of his background, which is super interesting. But thanks for coming on the show, Moshe. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We kind of reconnected a little while ago. You've got a really cool thing going on with this Law Firm Growth Summit. And I was immediately super interested on board of that, actually going to be speaking at the event. But would you mind telling us about how you kind of came up with this idea and what's going to be going on?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I'm the host of a podcast called Profit With Law. And through that podcast, I made some connections in the industry. And my entire business model is helping attorneys see their business in a new way. You know, Kind of like out with the old and with the new. Erase the board clean and start from scratch. And when I started to talk to other experts and influencers in the industry about potentially doing an event together, first we were talking about doing an in-person event. And then it dawned on, on me that I was following the same path that my clients follow, which is to kind of just do the business model that they had been exposed to. And I was like, you know what? Let's start from scratch. If I were to create a brand new conference from scratch, what would my clients want? What would law firm owners want? And the key is is that we're all time constrained, right? And Getting to an event means leaving the office, not being able to be productive while you're away. It means paying for airfare, paying for the event. So there's a cost to getting there. There's a cost to admission. And then there's a cost to the dedication of time to be there. And I said, you know what? Why don't we just do a virtual conference? Why don't we do a virtual event? We can do everything online. We can make it free to attend, which is exactly what we ended up doing. So if you go to lawfirmgrowthsummit.com forward slash LFG, you can check it out there. We have over 30 speakers that are talking on topics in marketing, sales, leadership and team development, technology and processes, and financials. It's basically over five days and it's a lot, like five days, six sessions a day. We don't expect anybody to be spending 30 hours in front of the computer watching these sessions, but it's going to give you the picking of exactly what you need right now. So you can look at those session titles and say, okay, I need to learn more about SEO. Let me listen to this guy, Mark Homer on SEO. I need to know more about financials. Let me listen to this dude, Moshe M. on financials. I need to learn i don 't even remember what your topic is, but I need to <laughs> yeah. learn more about oh yeah, I, I remember now strategic follow up in the sales process to close more sales. Let me listen to this session from Jan Roos. you know so I think it 's the perfect compilation of bringing the information that you need to you without you needing to leave the office without you needing to spend time during the day on it. you know you have twenty four hours to watch each of the sessions so you can watch them in the evening, whatever works for you. And then we even have an all-access pass that you can purchase if you don't think you're going to get it in, you want to be able to access it later, you have that option as well. But the reality is, is what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to change the industry. I'm trying to bring a new way of providing the information that everyone so desperately needs free of charge in a way that's convenient for them.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And I got to say, for anyone who's listening, like, you know, you're an attorney for listening to this podcast. You're smart. You're looking for the right information if you're listening to this podcast. So I think it's great for people who are interested in that kind of education. But the thing is you see all these people posting things from the Clio conference and stuff. And there's obviously, you know, you're not going to be able to get a selfie with me or any of the speakers, unfortunately. But the information is going to be there. And it's great. You know, it's the end of the year, 2019. If you're looking to make this your biggest year yet, you know, get that stuff in your head, have the knowledge and see what you can do with it. We'll have some more information towards the end of the show and also in the show notes if you want to sign up. But yeah, kind of want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more with Moshe about sort of his background. He's the CEO of Profit With Law. A lot of stuff going into that. But let's kind of go into, you have a really interesting backstory, Moshe. So do you mind telling us how you came to be working with attorneys?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I started right out of high school in the IT industry. My mom wanted to get me out of the Hanging out till 2 in the morning with friends and sleeping till 1 in the afternoon mode got me an apprenticeship at a local computer shop and that turned into my first career, which lasted 20 years. And in the IT industry, I very quickly rose up through the ranks, ended up in a managerial position. I experienced sales, marketing, as well as all the IT hands-on stuff that I learned there. And in 2006, I went through a divorce, and during that time, I reevaluated my entire life and realized that IT was not where I wanted to be. I wanted to make an impact on the world. And the desire for that impact stems from my own experience. So my grandfather left Nazi Germany with his father and ended up losing the rest of his family. So his mother and twin siblings ended up perishing in the Holocaust. But they came here to the U.S. with nothing on their backs, and they basically started from scratch. He was 11 years old and his father started a business. And through shrewd business acumen and smart investing, ended up purchasing some real estate in Manhattan. And that real estate in Manhattan basically put him in a position to be able to give to his children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And as one of his grandchildren, I was the recipient of some money to help me with my first down payment of my home, help me with money for private school tuition for my kids. And receiving that was life-changing for me as a young adult. And when I experienced what that was like, I said, this is something that not only do I want to do this for my family, not only do I want to create a legacy for my family, but I want to help other people create a legacy for theirs as well. And now we operate with this mission statement to empower all people with wealth creation so that this and future generations can lead a better life. So basically, I started an accounting business. The reason I started with accounting is because I think that business ownership is the fastest way to wealth creation. I think that being an owner of a business gives you that ability to just generate wealth on demand, right? Just generate cash on demand and then be able to put it to use by investing it smartly in assets. So... I started as a generalist in my practice and very quickly realized that I need to pick one particular customer to focus on. And at the time, I had started attracting some law firm clients. And what I found is, is that I had five law firm clients at the time that I decided to really focus on law firms as my target niche. And what I found was that all five of my clients were getting coaching or consulting from an outside company that they were paying dearly for and was probably helping them. But the coaching they were receiving was completely ignoring the financial side of the business. So they had a really nice office. They had a hundred page manual of processes and they had a staff to produce the work, but they were struggling to make payroll. Like every time payroll came around, they were moving money around personally, putting money on credit cards, transferring from this personal account to that personal account to be able to make it happen, chasing clients, doing early billing cycles just to be able to cover payroll. And that was an eye-opener for me. Like this is a broken business model. And I started to really look at what is that model? What is the model that they're following? And why is this so broken? And that's when I realized that All the gurus in the industry are law firm owners who had success and they're saying, hey, listen, let me show you how I was successful. You could be successful too. And it'll work for some, but it doesn't work for everybody. And they don't have the wiggle room to be able to think outside the box and say, it's not working for you because of this reason. Let's try something different for you. Your business model has to be a little bit different and let's make this tweak they don't have the ability to do that because they just don't think of in the minds of a business owner. And I think that that's really what's lacking in the legal industry is just the deep understanding of how a business operates and being able to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, let me look at the model that we're following and let me start from scratch and let me see, is this a viable model for us to follow and actually be profitable?
0: Yeah, that's kind of interesting. A lot of people that have the motivation to go ahead and and go into a coaching program. A lot of the times it's like they have the level of personal responsibility where it's like, hey, I've got these tools. I've got this help coming from a coach. And if things aren't working, you're never going to consider that the road that you're on might be wrong. So it's kind of interesting to have a different perspective on this. So, you know, there might be some people who might be in a similar situation. Obviously, as business owners, people, you know, will encounter various levels of smooth sailing on the road to having a successful business. So, what were kind of some of the commonalities that some of these early clients you were working with, and what kind of challenges do you think people face in different stages of their law firm?
1: Well, I think that there's a number of them throughout the process. So, we mentioned at the beginning of this episode that we're going to be hosting the summit, and I went through these five tracks that we're covering. And really, it starts there. There's five areas of the business that all need to kind of operate in concert with each other to create this beautiful melody. And if one of the instruments is out of tune, it's going to sound atrocious no matter how good the other instruments are, right? And I don't know, I just came up with that analogy now. I'm not a musician. But every business is different. You need to understand what is moving the needle for you and therefore be able to figure out what's broken. So for example, one person might be closing every sale that comes through the door, but they're getting one lead a month. So they can only close one sale, right? So their problem is they don't have enough leads. Their problem is not a sales problem, it's it's a marketing, you know, or lead generation problem. Another law firm might have the phone ringing off the hook and they're closing all their sales, but they can't deliver the product because they have way too much work and they can't hire anybody because there's not enough money to do so. Well, they're not charging enough for what they're doing, which is why they're closing all the sales. right? So they have to look at their pricing model and figure out how to fix that in order to move the needle on the rest of it. So they'll continue to get those leads and they'll continue to close those sales. But if they fix their pricing, now they can afford to hire the help that they need to produce the work and get it done. Another firm might be closing the business, getting the leads, closing the business, producing the work, but they are still struggling financially. And when we look at their pricing, their pricing is still right. So what's the problem there? Well, they have an accounts receivable that they're not able to collect. So their clients are getting billed, but they're not necessarily paying the bill. And that's another area where we need to go back and look at how they're structured, right? How are they getting into this position where people owe them money? And what I find is the most common thing there is attorneys or law firm owners tend to be, they're afraid of the money conversation with the client and therefore they let it go, right? They just let it fester until it becomes this untenable problem and nobody's ever talked about it. You have retainers for a reason if you're doing hourly billing, most likely you're doing a retainer. And by the way, I have my opinions about hourly billing. I don't think that it's the right model for law firm owners. But assuming you're doing hourly billing, you also have a retainer. And it's all great when the client signs the retainer the first time. But what happens when they need to replenish that retainer? Are you on top of those retainer replenishments? And are you actually stopping service for the client when they don't replenish their retainer, even though there's funds left in the retainer still because they're below their threshold? You know, if you're not willing to stick to your guns, they're not going to honor their commitment, their side of the bargain. I'll give you an example. So, I have a rental property and I have renters in it. And the very first month that they paid their rent, they paid it late. It wasn't that late, it was one day late. And I called them up and I said, look, you have a 10 day window in the contract that's a grace period. I said, but your rent is due. On the day that it's due, that grace period is there to give you a little bit of protection for timing issues and whatnot. I said, if you're going to be late consistently, then you are going to lose the opportunity to rent from us. You need to be on time. And because I had that conversation the very first time, they're in that house for three and a half years and they have not been late again. So there's so many of these examples in these areas where if you knew where to focus and you knew what was broken, you'd actually be able to fix it. The challenge is understanding what that is and recognizing that if I'm working with a coach who's going to bring me more leads, but that's not my problem, then it's not really going to get resolved.
0: Yeah, that's, that's true. And actually super good example too. I feel like there's a lot of kind of implicit mindset issues that are related to money. And it's interesting because you've come from this perspective of entering these, I mean, for the most part, your initial clients that were were coming into you for accounting. And that's a different conversation, which we'll get to. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff, you know, having the ability to ask for money kind of goes into a self-confidence thing and that kind of thing. To kind of go back a little bit into the background. So you're a profit first professional. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about like what that's about and why it's something that's going to be important for a small offer owner?
1: Sure. So a Profit First professional just means that I can help somebody with the Profit First system. Profit First is a book by Mike Michalowicz that has kind of taken the small business world by storm. It's really, really successful. A lot of people have heard about it. There's a lot of misinformation about it too, which tends to happen with stuff like that. But what it is, is basically a cash flow management system. And Mike, in the beginning of the book, he talks about how he was a very successful, by anybody's standards, a very successful business owner. And he sold his first business and he made $10 million from that sale and turned around and invested a million dollars in 10 different companies and very quickly blew through that money and was broke by the end of it to the point where he thought his family was going to lose the house and stuff like that. And that's when he realized what he was doing wrong and he created the system. But essentially, the idea is that we think of business as revenue minus expenses equals profit. And the problem is, is that the revenue comes in and we use, most of us business owners use what we call bank balance accounting. Bank balance accounting is something that Mike made up. So bank balance accounting is basically where you wake up in the morning, you check your bank balance, and then you make all your decisions that day based on what you saw. So if the bank balance is really low, you're going to spend the day chasing after clients trying to get more money in because you realize that you know, you've got a problem on your hands. If you wake up in the morning and the bank balance is high, you're more likely to spend things on stuff that you might not need in the office or seems like a necessity, but really isn't. Like you know, You might purchase a new printer or a new computer or a new laptop for somebody. You might look to hire somebody new based on these short-term signals that the bank account is showing. But what it's not showing you is the expenses that you haven't incurred yet. And it's not showing you how long it's going to be until you have more cash come in. So the actual point-in-time snapshot of the bank balance that you have is really no information at all to let you know how you're doing as a business. And then people get in trouble with tax. like You need to pay your taxes throughout the year. Most business owners don't. And when it comes to the end of the year, suddenly, if you made money, you've got a 20, 30, 40, $50,000 tax bill, and you can't come up with it. Well, where did all that money go? Well, you thought you had it to spend. It was in your bank account, but you really didn't. It really was supposed to be earmarked for tax. So Profit First essentially uses five bank accounts to mimic grandma's envelope system for budgeting. And Essentially, what you're doing is is you're taking your profit first. You have a profit account where you're squirreling away the profit that you intentionally plan to make. You're also putting away your tax money and you're putting away your owner's compensation for working in the firm. And then you're putting away your operating expenses. So you're splitting it up based on this intentional percentage allocation of where you wanted that money to go. And that is going to prevent you from overspending because Parkinson's law, not the disease, dictates that given a finite asset, your needs for that asset are going to expand to the size of the asset. So it's commonly used for time. So if you have four hours to complete a project, you'll complete it in four hours. If you're given the same exact project and given three hours to complete it, you'll complete it in three hours. So why were you able to complete it in three hours when you had four hours? to do it the other time and it took you four hours. The answer is Parkinson's law. It's basically, we're going to use that resource if it's given to us. So if you have money in the bank account, you're going to spend it. So basically what we're doing with the system is we're limiting how much is in the operating expenses account, which is where your spending is coming from, to a smaller percentage of the total revenue that you have. Everything else has gotten a name now and that operating expenses is going to drive... You'll still do your bank balance accounting. You'll still look at the operating expenses to make your decisions, but it's going to be a smaller amount because you've already taken off the
0: other things that have a tendency to mislead you and then disappear. Gotcha. Now, do you think there's something about the practice of law and how people start it that makes an attorney more or less prone to this than you know, your general small business owner?
1: Yeah, so it's a good question. And I think it's... i Honestly, I mean, you mentioned mindset earlier around money. I think it's more in the mind than anything else. So many law firm owners walk around thinking, I was not taught business in law school. And therefore, I don't know how to run a business. And let me tell you this, 90% or more of the entrepreneurs out there did not go to entrepreneurial school they did not go to business school either there are mbas and stuff like that you know i have an mba so there are people who are business educated who go into business but most people who start a business they start it because they have a drive they have a passion they have something that's driving them to do it or they just want to be their own boss and then they figure it out along the way and i think that law firm owners in particular and it's hard to generalize because there's a lot of people who are probably listening to this that are not in this position but what I've gathered from my conversations with law firm owners is that many of them are hiding behind this thing of, oh, I don't know how to run a business and I haven't been educated to run a business to be their excuse for why they're not doing the things they need to do. And I think that if you can overcome that and you can recognize that your lack of education is not what's going to make or break your business and you just need to figure out what you need to do and take the action and do it, you're
0: much more likely to succeed at a much more rapid pace. Yeah, that makes sense. And as far as kind of these different domains, so it's like, it's kind of tough because, you know, obviously from the situation where people are bringing you in as a consultant, they're asking for a bird's eye view or the situation where, Hey, you know, I'm starting to get letters from the IRS or I'm getting maxed out notifications on my credit card or something like that. That's obviously kind of like the equivalent of smoke coming out from under your hood. With the car that is your business, what else would people it was usually a trigger that would cause somebody to want to start really taking a look at whether something is worth taking a step aside and taking a look at your law practice as a whole
1: honestly, I think that it's not the lack of cash or you know it's not those situations that the smoke under the hood that you've described. I think that people get to a point where they have so much frustration built up that they're resenting their life, they're resenting their firm, and they've gotten to the point where they're like, this shouldn't be so hard and there's got to be a way to fix it. And that's when they start to look for solutions. So I think it's a combination of what your time allocation and resources are, what your level of stress from the firm is because you have clients who are getting... Here's what happens. What happens is is that you're working to the bone. You're spending every minute that you have in the firm. Your family life is hurting because of it. And at the same time, your clients are not happy because you're not producing the work fast enough or on their timetable. And they're getting frustrated and they're putting pressure on you. And now you're blaming your clients for your problems, which further agitates the problem when the reality is is that they're not wrong. And you have just positioned yourself in a way where you're overworked, underpaid, and not able to deliver in a timely fashion what it is that you need to do. When all of that comes together, almost like a really bad country song, that's when the firm owner typically is going to look for help. And really what I'm trying to do in the industry and what I'm trying to do, getting interviewed on podcasts, creating the Law Firm Growth Summit, I'm trying to educate the market before it gets to that point. There's no reason for you to have to get to the point where you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have gone into law to be so frustrated with where you're at that now you're in desperation mode. I think that there's a ton that you can do to learn and educate yourself early on and avoid all of that happening by taking the right moves along the way. So. Getting the right help as you go is going to expedite your journey in a positive way. It's going to get you to the happy ending faster than trying to figure it out yourself, go it alone, make all the mistakes,
0: and then at the end, end up needing the help anyway. And speaking of happy endings, I know we kind of had like sort of a drill down into some kind of unpleasant things to think about. Can we talk about some of this stuff? And we don't have to go into specific details of names or firms or anything like that. But what kind of results have you been able to see when people end up really taking ownership over this and really making a change for the better in their firm? Okay,
1: so usually the biggest things that they end up being able to do is to get their time back. And that translates into a lot of other things. So if you free up your time, let's say you're spending 60, 80 hours a week in your firm, and you get to the point where you can just spend 25 hours in the firm, imagine what that can do for you in your life. And everybody listening to this has their own life situation. But I guarantee you, every single person who's listening to this is saying to themselves, yeah, if I only was working 25 hours a week, I could be doing and fill in the blank. And some of them are going to be saying, yeah, I could be paying attention to my body and going to the gym and exercising. Or I could be doing that hobby that I love. Or I could be spending more time with my kids. Or I could be spending more time with my wife or both. Or I could be spending time on other social efforts and other things where I can expand my social circle. So everybody has something else that makes them tick. But time is the common denominator that struggling law firm owners don't have time like that is their number one complaint even above money is i don't have time and to the point where i've met with people who really desperately need to work with me and they're like oh well i don't have the time to implement the things you're going to tell me to implement so it doesn't make sense for us to work together And it boggles my mind because that's the entire reason we're having the conversation, right? So you have to be willing to bite the bullet to be able to buy that time back. If the business model is set up correctly, other people should be doing the work for you. You should be choosing to only do the things that you absolutely love to do. So it's not just about the time. It's also about the time that you're spending in the firm is doing the most fulfilling work for you so that you're not doing anything that's giving you any sort of anguish or
0: anxiety. Like, if anyone can put themselves in those shoes, you know, obviously it's interesting the way you bring it up too, because it's going to be different for every single person that's doing it. And I know there's some people who want to double down and to take those 30 hours back and put them right back in the business. There's other people who want to do different things, but it's a really interesting perspective on what people are able to do with it. And then we kind of mentioned sort of the things that might lead to a challenge and what you might end up getting from getting out of this. And again, it's such a wide reaching conversation because the way that you've broken this down really spans a lot of different things. I mean, we could be spending hours talking about this, but for somebody who might be saying, Hey, look, either there's problems in my firm and I want to get better, or Hey, look, maybe things are going great and you want to see how great they can just get. I think you put together some resources as well for people who might be considering this and where to find help. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, in putting together this summit, we created a playbook which has taken the information from all of our speakers and compiled it into a simple, easy to peruse PDF, which goes through in the same format the five primary areas of the business that you might want to be looking at. So, you've got the marketing and sales, leadership and team development, technology and processes, and financials. And basically, you can go in there and try to identify where are your blind spots and where do you think that you need to be spending the time in the business. I will tell you this though sometimes it's hard to see your own poop. Okay. I wasn't sure if this is like a G rated or beyond. So, <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like I have a coach for myself personally, I help other people get out of their own way but I cannot help myself get out of my own way. So I personally have a business coach. I'm in a coaching organization where I'm in a group of like-minded peers and I'm getting group coaching and I'm able to have other people that I can share my wins with and also share my challenges with. It's incredibly useful to have those people in your corner. And the example is, is, look at athletes, okay? So I'm a football fan. Look at NFL players, right? Not one NFL player has gotten to where they are or will continue to make progress from where they are without a coach. The most highly paid individuals in the world have coaches. And these are high caliber coaches. They don't come cheap, right? So there's the right coach for you at the level that you're at. And this is not about pitching coaching. And it's not about because that's actually not even necessarily my business model. But I think that it's important for people to recognize as you're trying to go on this journey there are professionals you need to put in your corner. You, know, like you have to have an accountant who is going to help you make some tax-savvy decisions. You have to have a bookkeeper who's going to maintain your books or somebody on staff who's trained in doing that. You, the firm owner, should not be doing that. You should not be doing your own books. You should not be doing your own tax return. And if you are, most likely you're leaving money on the table. If for nothing else, then the time that you're spending on it could be spent more productively. But besides for that, there's probably things that could be done that you don't know about because you're not the professional in those areas. And the same thing goes with cleaning your office, right? It would not be the best use of your time to clean your office. And you probably would do half as good a job as a cleaning service who does that all day long. So hiring the right professionals for the job at hand is really important. So I think this summit is kind of like a starting point for you on your journey to come in and get the knowledge that you need. But beyond that, when you're done with that, there's the ongoing help that I think a lot of firm owners just don't recognize how helpful it is until they've experienced it. And the problem is, is that you have to bite the bullet. You have to actually make the investment and make the decision. And not everybody out there is good. So you might have made the decision with the wrong person. And this is a gripe that I have in general in the economy, but specifically in the legal industry. Like One of my clients, you know, I said, look, you need marketing, right? Go out and get a marketing company that's going to do marketing for you. This is the overall strategy I think you should be following. Find somebody who can do that for you. And it's been a three, four-month process of vetting marketers out there and really not finding a good candidate. And there's so many law firm marketers out there, but they're just not providing the level of service or the level of delivery that somebody needs. And so now they're stuck in this mode of trying to find the right provider, the right solution, and just not being able to find it. So it's kind of like... At some point, you have to bite the bullet and make a decision and choose somebody and just go with it. But you also have to do your due diligence and make sure that you're well aligned with the person that you're situating yourself with, whether it's marketing, whether it's coaching, whether it's your accountant, the list goes on. But we've all had providers that let us down. They were not what we thought that they would be. And I've been that provider for other people. You know, I'm not perfect. I have plenty of clients that I've had come and go that I either was in a busy season, I couldn't keep up and they didn't get their stuff in time and they left, or I made some other error. There was one where I promised to give them a ruling on something and then I delayed and delayed and they ended up saying, forget it, pull the plug. And I'm in the same boat as you. Like there's definitely situations like that where you're an awesome provider in one respect, but you definitely have had a situations where you've not served a client well at the same time. So that'll happen with any vendor that you're looking for. I don't know how I went down this rabbit hole. But well, no, it's, it's okay, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. It's really I mean, you know, I think it's super important. And this is also, I mean, yeah, we've seen the same thing with the industry. Like I, I like to refer to this as the mechanic dilemma where basically if you take your car you don't really know anything about, I mean I personally don't know anything about cars but if i take a car to a mechanic he'd say i could have a flat tire and he could tell me i need to replace my drivetrain i don't know enough to know whether somebody's doing the right thing or not and the problem with law firms is an industry and there's nothing for the practice of law related to this but there's everything to do with the fact that generally they're pretty lucrative businesses and it has attracted some bad actors but you know what i really like about the summit is it's the complete opposite of The web guy king of the fiefdom who will do your web design, your SEO, your blah, blah, blah. The guy will do everything for you that doesn't really do anything well. You've taken a completely 180 degree opposite approach where, hey, look, I'm not going to tell you what you need. We've got these top providers that we know, and then you can see what you want. And then stuff is going to resonate with you. And the only thing is that basically, I think the only way you can possibly lose it on this is just by not taking a look, to be honest. So we're going to have some links in the show notes for both the guide, if you want to take a look at that. And also, if you're interested in signing up for the summit, I super recommend it. And just remind us a little bit, Moshe, what's the timeline for that? When should people be getting ready for it?
1: Yeah. So we're in active registration right now. I don't know when this is going to air, but even when we're recording it, this is an active registration. December 16th to December 20th is the official days of the event. It actually kicks off on the 15th in the evening. So Sunday night, we're going to have a welcome party. We're going to be giving away a ton of free stuff. So even if you're not interested in the sessions, come and win some prizes there. You know, Join the welcome party and be present. You got to be there to win it. So I invite everybody to do that. And then... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days. And every night we're going to have a Q&A, a live Q&A. So some of the speakers are going to come on and be panelists and we'll do a Q&A for you. That's going to be run in a Facebook group and on Zoom. We've got technology that you're familiar with and really just want it to be an exciting and open forum and just a place where you're comfortable to just come and ask your questions and get them answered and hopefully help you move past wherever you're stuck right now.
0: All right. Awesome. And then you guys, if anyone's listening, I said this at the beginning of the show, but if you're the kind of person who owns a law firm and you listen to podcasts, this is going to be right up your alley. If you're the kind of person who likes to educate yourself and then use that as a means to getting forward in your business, and your life, you know, opportunities like this have not come before. So that's the thing. It's a first time ever thing. So I'm really, really excited about this. And again, we'll have some links in the show notes. Moshe, thank you so much for putting this together as well as uh, you're taking the time to talk to our guests. This is Jan Roos with the Law Firm Growth Podcast, and I will hopefully see you at the summit. And if not, I'll see you next week in the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.